Hey, this is Jamie from Stillmeyer Games, and today I'm going to talk about my top 10 favorite series and worlds and brands. So gaming, uh, we'll call it series or, or worlds um, of games that have at least three separate standalone games in the same world or in the same series. Um, and the qualification that I put on games that can actually make my top 10 list here, or series that make my top 10 list, are that I've actually played at least three of the games in those series. Um, so that was my kind of my requirement to make this list. Uh, yeah, and, and I also, when I get to the top 10, I'll also pick of the series, I will pick my top game within that series. And throughout the list, I'll, I'll build in some discussions about... Um, uh, why, why, why the, kind of the pros and cons of why you might make a game, uh, like a shared world, um, why you might have a series of games. I'll talk a little bit about that as I go. I also want to mention that I did not include legacy games in this series. So, for example, um, like Pandemic has, has plenty of games in their series of games. Definitely tons of Pandemic games. I didn't, if a game would have qualified for this list, or if a world would have qualified for this list, because the third game in that series, or one of the three, is a legacy game. I didn't count that as one of the three, even though legacy games are like designing five games all in one. Just, you know, arbitrary reasons for making this list. Um, let's go through, go through some various mentions here. Uh, Terraforming Mars, there's a shared world shared series. I did not put it on this list officially because the third game in that series hasn't been released yet, it's on, or was on Kickstarter recently. Cottage Garden, Indian Summer, Spring Meadow, a Polyamino series I really enjoy, but if I'm going to play a game in that series, I'm actually I'm going to either play A Feast for Odin, uh, these are all games by Uwe Rosenberg, or I'm going to play Patchwork, go really light and play Patchwork. The Coin series, I actually don't think I've played any games in the Coin series except for offshoots of it like Root, um, but I don't think that's officially in the Coin series. I could be wrong about that. 18XX, I don't think I've played, no, I have played one, I played Irish Gage, I think that counts as the 18XX series, but I haven't played a lot of those games. Aeon Zen, I, I've played through the legacy campaign of Aeon Zen, but I have not played each of the standalone games in that series. Um, Arkham and Eldritch games. This is a series that I think I have played. I played Arkham Horror and I played Arkham Horror the card game, but I haven't played other games in that realm, in that world. Uh, so I didn't count it for this list. Risk. Risk is one where I've only played the original Risk, and I've played Risk Legacy, so it didn't qualify for this list, but it is a, a, a world that continues across many, many different games. The Brass world of games. I wanted to mention it here because there are two highly renowned Brass games, including also the original would be a third, but I don't think there are three yet. So if there's three, then I'll count it in this, in this, in this, uh, in this video in the future. Carcassonne. Carcassonne has a, a number of different offshoots and versions. Same with Catan next on the list. Um, I have only played two of each of those, though. Uh, the Exit series and the Unlock series. I probably could have put these on this list, along with uh, Time Stories. I'll mention that in a second. Uh, but they felt, uh, and they very much are qualified for this list, but it, I guess it felt a little weird to put them on the list because each one is so different. They just use a similar system, but that really does qualify for this list. Chronicles of Crime, uh, Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven is one that will fully qualify for this list soon due to Frost, Frosthaven coming out, but currently I believe there are only two games in the Gloomhaven world, Gloomhaven and Jaws of the Lion. Actually, no, that is not true. I, I should have made this fully eligible uh, because Isaac's 
uh, third game, I believe, was Founders of Gloomhaven and uh, a Euro game that had very different mechanisms than Gloomhaven. So that, that that's a shared world, totally, with Gloomhaven. I haven't played that one, though, so it couldn't have been eligible for my list. Villainous. I have the Marvel Villainous on my shelf. I have also enjoyed the Disney Villainous series of standalone games for Villainous. Unmatched. I've only played Unmatched once, um, but I had a good time with it. The Tiny Tiny Epic series is one that probably comes to mind when you think of series and worlds, shared worlds of games. They're not shared worlds, but a shared series of games. Legendary. Love Letter. There are lots of different versions of Love Letter. I think I've only played two. I really enjoy the Lord of the Rings one, or the, the Hobbit version of it. Zombicide. I've never played a Zombicide game, so that couldn't be on the list. Oniverse, the Oniverse games. The T-series of games. I think I've only played two of these. I played Sulkin, which I love, and I played Teotihuacan, um, which I always mispronounce and enjoy, but definitely not as much as I enjoyed Sulkin. Ticket to Ride, I think, I had to think about this one for a little bit. I think I've only played two of them. I think I've only played the original Ticket to Ride and I played the Europe version. There might be one that I'm forgetting in there, but I think those are, are the only two that I played. Uh, Time Stories, again, I mentioned that earlier. I, Time Stories is mostly a game that has expanded, but it does have a few standalone games in that series as well. I do love Time Stories. First, uh, b between two series, the between two series of games, we only have two of them. Um, so I didn't qualify it for the list, but we do have between two cities and between two castles. Tidal Blades. Tidal Blades will have an RPG and it will have a sequel. So I think eventually we will have a full world of Tidal Blade games, but currently we only have, I believe, one that's been released so far. Actually, no, there is a third one. I'm wrong about that. There is a third one that was released this summer or is releasing soon that is more of a trick-taking game in that universe. I know Mr. Cuddington, uh, the artistic couple that makes this world, um, are really, really into world building. They are the artists for Charterstone. The Blood Rage Rising Sun Ankh series from Eric Lang. I've played all three of those games. Um, didn't quite make it the top 10, my personal top 10, but I, I know a lot of people love those games. In the Clank series of games. So there's there's Clank, there's Clank in Space, and soon there will be Clank Catacombs. Clank Catacombs. There's also Clank Legacy, but as I said, I wouldn't count that among the three. Uh, I wouldn't count Legacy games among the three. But, uh, but Clank Catacombs will soon bump this into eligibility for this list. Anyway, let's get on to the actual top 10 now, and I'll talk a little bit about the pros and cons of making these types of games, probably when I get up to the, the higher games on the list. Number 10, we have the Pandemic series of games. I have played at least three games. I've played the original Pandemic, I've played Rising Tide, and I've played what is my favorite, Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu. Um, of course, there's Pandemic Legacy. Again, I'm not counting Legacy games for this list, but I really enjoy Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu. Because it's a lot, it's a much tighter map. Uh, there aren't as many locations as in the original pandemic, and you have um, you have these monsters that can appear in the game that that make the game feel very different from game to game. So I think that is uh, my favorite. I, I like the tension in all pandemic games, but I think Reign of Cthulhu just works for me on on uh, on various levels. That's number ten. So, so the number ten series, and then my favorite game in that series is Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu. At number nine, I have the Forbidden series of games. I've played the three that exist so far, to my knowledge, Forbidden Island, Forbidden Sky, and Forbidden Desert. And by far, my favorite of the three is Forbidden Desert. In Forbidden Desert, it is a, you have this grid of tiles. I think it's a five by five grid. And whenever you move one of the tiles, which you have to do at the end of each turn, you put sand on it. And so you're trying to uncover, you're trying to dig out the sand to get to the tiles and, and flip them over and see what's there so that you can line up certain things that correspond on, on the X and Y axis within this grid. It's just a great little hunt, great little deduction puzzle, and you constantly are struggling against the sand, but it 
it never really feels helpless. I mean, we, I've lost this game more than I've won this game, but I always feel like I have a chance until the very end. And also has a really great feeling of cooperation thanks to the asymmetric abilities of each of the characters in the game. So yeah, that's the Forbidden series, and I really do love Forbidden Desert. And this series does something that I, I think is interesting in, um, in the idea of world, shared world, shared series, which is that it hits different weights. Forbidden Island is very light and very introductory. Um, Forbidden Sky, uh, I need to take this. I'm going to, we'll cut back this. I'll be back in a second. Sorry about that. My, my cat is at the vet today, and so I, I really did have to take that call. We'll just splice this in, and I'll continue talking about uh, Forbidden, the Forbidden series, which I, which I thought was a good example of a game, of a series where um, Forbidden Island is kind of a beginner level. Uh, Forbidden Desert is a kind of a more advanced level of the game version of the, the series, and Forbidden Sky is even, even more difficult. So you can appeal to different types of gamers um, in that way. Next up at number eight is Century Spice Road, which also includes Eastern Wonders and A New World. I have played all of these. I believe the only one that I've really played repeatedly is Century Spice Road. That's one that I've liked more and more with, um, with more plays of it, including plays on Board Game Arena. And there is Century Spice Road and Century Gollum Edition. I believe they are identical except for the art. So I've kind of combined them into one version of Century. But Century, it's a... Um, a hand-slash-deck hand management game. You're, you're essentially building a deck, but there's no randomness behind it. It's the Concordia style of play a card, and then when you're ready, you can bring all the cards back to your hand. And it just has a really nice flow to it. It doesn't take a lot of brain power, even though you're making good choices throughout the game, which is kind of nice. Like you can casually play, but still have a really nice sense of satisfaction. And the really cool thing they did in this series, that I think is very difficult to pull off, is that they actually give you the option to combine these games and play them together. So I believe you can actually play a combination of Spice Road, Road Eastern Wonders, and A New World all in one, and one big game at the same time. I've never tried that. I've never even really been interested in doing that. But I, am, uh, I do applaud it. I, I, I applaud the effort. Um, and I'm curious if you're watching this, if you've ever played any combination of them, if, and if you enjoyed that experience. That's uh, that's that's hard to do, it, it, but uh, that overlap is is pretty cool that they pulled that off. Next up is the I think it's called like the the epic series of games from Matago, and that is Kemet, Cyclades, and Inish. Each of them has a really nice hook to it. The action selection system in each of these is is really clever. Inish has this cool drafting mechanism. Cyclades has a a um, um, a bidding mechanism, an auction mechanism, and Kemet has a this pyramid-style action selection mechanism where you can't choose two actions from the same row of your pyramid. And uh, all three are, are kind of Euro games combined with a lot of direct conflict and interaction. And they're cool games. They're great games. Kemet is one of my favorite direct interaction combat-y games uh, ever, ever made. I love Kemet, uh, both due to how the combat works. It's... it's uh, you can be a little sneaky in it, but there isn't randomness to it. And also combined with the, uh, the, the tile selection mechanism where you're upgrading your, your system and upgrading different parts of what you're doing, whether it's your economy or your, your, your ability to fight, your ability to defend, depending on the tiles that you get. A great series of games. Kemet is my favorite of the three. And I think it's cool here that they've created a series of games where each one takes place in a different area of mythology in the world. And, uh, and they've actually really seemed to focus on having a unique hook of the action mechanism. So there's a couple uh, parallels between the games in this series, even though each game feels very different. Number six is the Near and Far series. 
So this is, I believe, the Arzium world from Ryan Lockett of Red Raven Games. Ryan Lockett does all the art for his games, so all of his games look very similar. They look like they could be in the same world, but I believe several of them are in actually different worlds. This series of games is, I believe, both in the same world and the same style of game, and that is Above and Below, Now and Never, and Near and Far. These are all Euro games with, uh, with some form of ongoing story or at least some form of written narrative in the game itself. Like Above and Below, I don't think has an ongoing story, whereas Near and Far, my favorite game of the series, does. Uh, you can play Near and Far in a variety of modes, including a campaign mode, a standalone mode. I think there's a standalone but story, but with story mode. And I think this is cool that he has these different modes in these games. But uh, I've actually talked to Ryan about this. I think he's found that these are the games that his fans really, really love that he makes. That he that he has this similar aesthetic in the world. He has a great Euro game framework. And he also has the story and the writing, which I think his, his wife does a lot of the writing. They, they kind of have partnered up to make some of these games, or maybe all of the games at this point. Um, I think still my favorite Ryan Locking game is Sleeping Gods, but I'm pretty sure that takes place in another world. That's why I've chosen Near and Far for this series, but I really did enjoy playing through the Near and Far campaign. I enjoyed the Eurogame mechanisms. I enjoyed the, the health system in particular. You go out adventuring and you kind of stock up on health before you go out because health helps you mitigate, and not just mitigate, but uh, it directly uh, helps you complete the, the various tests and challenges that you go out to complete if your luck isn't very good. And so you're kind of going out and hoping that your luck is good, but if it isn't, you need health to make sure that you can still accomplish the test. And it means that you rarely fail a test. It's just a matter of how long can you stay out on the path before you come back to town and need to recharge. Really cool mechanism there. If you haven't checked that out, check out the near and far health mechanism. So we're at the top of the, the top five of the list now. We have the Mad King Ludwig series. Kind of an odd theme for a game that it's, it's uh, this game, series of games is all about one specific person from history and a, a little bit exaggerated. Um, the Castles of Mad King Ludwig is my favorite of the series. And let's say I do have this one right here. This is the new Castles game. You get to design this crazy zany castle with so many different rewards when you place a tile, when you complete a tile. It feels amazing. Uh, I, I love castles. The new version I, I found to be a lot of fun. And also in the series is a game that we published called Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig, where it's another tile placement game where you end up with a zany castle, but with all square tiles and with a drafting mechanism. And there's also uh, the Palace of Mad King Ludwig. So this series is very unique, I think, in that... It, it, it is a series because multiple publishers in my company has made it eligible for this list of essentially by adding a third Ludwig game, um, unless there's another one that I'm not aware of. But uh, yeah, I think that's kind of interesting where you can have a brand or a series that you can even share across, um, across different, um, different companies. And as I'm saying that, I'm thinking that I, I could have potentially included intellectual properties on this list, but I intentionally stayed away from, from them because I have a different video about intellectual properties like, uh, like Marvel. You could say that there's a Marvel series of games, but really they're just different companies with different Marvel licenses making games set in the Marvel world. So I guess, I guess it could have applied in terms of the shared world, um, but, uh, but they're they made so separately, so independently that they don't really feel like a cohesive series of games. But this is kind of maybe the one exception to that, or, or some of the rare exceptions to this, where two companies do work together uh, to create something a little bit more cohesive within the same world or the same brand. 
And number four, we have the Azul series of games. Uh, so we have the original Stained Glass, Queen's Garden, and my favorite, Azul Summer Pavilion. This is my favorite because it does have a little bit of a feel of engine building, a lot of little moments of completion during the game that feel really good where you can actually get bonus tiles as you're doing that, not just bonus points, which I think feels great while playing Azul. Um, the Azul series is a unique one in that it is, it, you know, Azul is a very abstract game. They do their best to incorporate theme into the game, and I think they, they do a good job of that. But when you're actually playing Azul, it's very abstract. But they've managed to take a core drafting system. Like they found this drafting mechanism that was just really cool where you you randomly put out some tiles on or put out tokens on random tiles. You select all tokens of the same color from a tile and all remaining tokens on that tile go into the center pool and you can actually draft from that center pool as well using the same method. They took that core mechanism and brought it into now four total games across the series and each game feels very unique and different despite having either the exact same or a very similar drafting mechanism. Um, I think that's really cool that they took one mechanism and stretched it in such a way that makes each game feel unique and special to the point where I think it's worth having multiple Azul's in the collection. Oftentimes I would say probably the original and then your favorite. So, you know, the, the original Azul and then for me, the, um, the Summer Pavilion version. But I think that's really neat to take a single mechanism and, and and branch out in that way. And I think Azul is also a good example of having just a very successful game and deciding and deciding you know, people this game is bringing joy to people. Can we, without people having to relearn um, a completely new game, but to have a new experience, can we uh, offer them something else? And actually, let me back up real quick and mention one. Of, actually, no, I'll talk about this in the next series of games, which is Seven Wonders. Seven Wonders has three games in this series now that I'm aware of. There's Seven Wonders Duel, Seven Wonders, the original Seven Wonders, and Seven Wonders Architects. Um, Seven Wonders Architects is probably the lightest of the three. And then Seven Wonders Duel and Seven Wonders are, are similar weight. Seven Wonders is great for large player groups or from three to seven players. And then Seven Wonders Duel is specifically for, for two players. That is my favorite of the bunch, although it's really close between Seven Wonders and Seven Wonders Duel. I really like both of them. And the thing I was going to go back and say um, about the Near and Far series, the Red Raven series of games, is that in Seven Wonders Duel, something that they do to, I think, really help people, really invite people to stay in that world is that they use a lot of the same icons. So that way, if you have learned the icons for Seven Wonders, learning one of the other games in this world is really intuitive because you already understand what those icons mean. I think that's a great way to continue to invite people into a world or into a series of games by having familiar elements to them that make sense and ensuring when you're designing those games in those worlds that those elements do actually continue to make sense. Like if you use a coin icon in one game, that that coin icon still means one coin in the next game. That doesn't mean something completely different. Uh, and I think Seven Wonders does that does that really well. So that's number three. At number two, we have Role Player. Oh, I actually have Seven Wonders Duel. Here's Seven Wonders Duel right here. Yeah, for, for this last one. At number two, we have the Role Player Universe of Games. And this is one, I think this is the only one on the list where I actually own all three games that are on my list. There's another one that I don't own and haven't played, the uh, Lockup. I haven't played Lockup yet. But Role Player Adventures was one of my favorite, if not my favorite, game of 2021. Uh, this is a campaign game, but not a legacy game, and I can't wait for the expansion to come out on Kickstarter. There's also the original Role Player, which is a, a, a game about creating a an RPG character, just simply creating the character throughout the game. And there's Cartographers, another game they put into that world. This is a, uni a, well, a unique and slightly interesting series of games to me because 
while I enjoy the world, especially when I'm playing role-player adventures and learning more about the world, uh, I'm not necessarily buying these games because they are in the same shared world. I'm buying the games because I really like Thunderworks and I think they make consistently great games. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a weird one for this list, but I, I do appreciate that they have leaned into this world, that they're kind of building out the world in different ways. I think that's really, really cool. And yeah, I think, that I just think that's a, a, a neat method of games, of, of having these little games where you get to see little pieces of the world. And then when you play a game like Roleplayer Adventures, you get to see all those pieces come together in a really epic, satisfying way. So the Roleplayer world of games is one that, that I really, really enjoy, with Roleplayer Adventures being my favorite. And at number one, we have Garpill Games. I'm pretty sure there was a better name for me to call this series of games from Shem Phillips and Garpill Games. Uh, I'm pretty sure I heard it, but I couldn't find it when I was looking for it. But basically, Shem has will eventually have four different parts of this world. So this is the West Kingdom. So he started out with Raiders of the North Sea. He's working on the South area right now, and eventually he'll do the East. Um, but it'll be a series of a total of 12 different games in this world. And I think he has seven so far, maybe. And I have played Raiders, Paladins, Viscounts, and Architects. Again, they're all in the same world. Uh, some of them, or many of them, are, are co-designed with, with Sam McDonald. And this is a really close call for me because I really like Raiders and I really like Architects. But I'm going to go with Architects because I really do love the mechanism in Architects where you put workers on the, You start out with a ton of workers and on your turn, you put a worker on the board. And when you do that, you gain benefits for that action based on how many of your workers are there at that moment. Um, there are ways that can change throughout the game. You can kind of... Uh, uh, clear off workers off the board, which you might need to do at certain times to get those workers back. But I love this sense of progression as you're building up an action. It kind of had this tension almost of, I hope no one clears out the workers from the space because now when I place a worker here, instead of just getting one wood, I'm gonna get six wood and that feels really good. I love that in Architects, I never get, that never gets old to me. But this is such an interesting series of games too because he has used the same artist throughout the entire series, which is a little bit of a catch here, I think if you're creating a world or a series that the artist, if you have an artist that you want to use across the entire series, you kind of need them committed to it and uh, so that you can have that level of consistency throughout one game to the next. But he has consistent art. Um, there are some characters that might appear. So he has some games where you you have a, a character from a different part of the world, different part of the universe that might show up in the game as like a visitor, essentially. And they might play a more prominent role in one of the other games, which I think is really cool. Really cool. And Norse Saga, Norse Saga, is that the name of this series of games? Norse Saga? Um, and I think he even has like a campaign mode in one of the games that connects a few of them and a way to play through multiple games. There's all these cool things that Shem has done with this world. And I don't think, listening, from inter listening to interviews with Shem, I don't think he really had it planned out from the beginning. I think he kind of went into it and said, okay, I'll make this game Raiders and see what happens. And then he made another one and another one. And I, I think that's a neat way to go. Of, of giving yourself the flexibility as you design these worlds to have it potentially just be a standalone. Like if you started with Raiders and it didn't really take off, you could have ventured into something else. But if it does take off, that you have the flexibility to build it into a brand or build it into a world. I'm trying to think of any other pros or cons here because as I mentioned, Stolmeyer Games doesn't have any games that apply to this so far. We have uh, in Euphoria, there's Euphoria and there's a game from another publisher that is kind of a large group social deduction game set in that world. And that's one consideration that we have. Like, uh, 
how do you, do you want games set in the same world to feel fairly similar or do you want very different games set in the same world? I think there are pros and cons to both of those depending on on your strategy and how your audience responds to that. Uh, we have the Between Two series, but it's really just two games. Um, and that's a good reminder, actually, in my opinion, that I think trilogies are kind of the standard format for books and movies and things like that to actually have a trilogy. And I think that can make sense, especially if there's a nice arc between the games. But you don't always need a trilogy. There's an author that I really, really love who publishes the um, the Grishaverse series of books, and she makes duologies. There are a few trilogies in her world, but a lot of the time she just has two books to write, each with a clear beginning and end. And instead of trying to stretch it into a trilogy, she just says, you know, I'm going to write two books here. Call it a duology. And I think that works out really well. So I'm happy with our between two duology of games, and we're not necessarily pursuing a third one. Um, there are worlds, Stonemaier Games worlds that I would like to explore a little bit more, like the Green Gully world in Charterstone. I'd like to explore that in a new game. The 1920 plus world of Scythe, I think that's a great world. And uh, I'm forgetting one here as I talk. But there are other worlds that I'm, I'm curious about uh, building and, and expanding. Uh, I think that it can feel good when you see the same world from different angles using different mechanisms while having certain elements that feel familiar to the players who want to visit those worlds more than once. That's a, that's a good way to summarize this, I think. So let me know what you think about these game series, what your favorite game series or worlds are, and your favorite game in that series. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that in the comments below. Thanks.